Hi, it's Rebecca Whitman, your host of the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm a top-rated life coach, an international best-selling author, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm on a mission to help you go from burned out to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. The experts on this show will help you achieve work-life balance so that you can experience abundance in seven pillars of life, spirituality, health, emotions, romance, mindset, social, and financial life. When you have all seven pillars of life in alignment, you are balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. I am your host, Rebecca Whitman. We are taking you out from taking you from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Today, we have an amazing guest. His name is Kellen Plukinger, and uh, I just said it wrong, right? He, uh, there's no N in it. It's Flukiger, but that's fine. <laughs> Kellen Flukiger. And he has an incredible story. I mean, I'm so excited for this episode. I remember our pre-interview a few months ago, and literally my jaw was on the floor because he's going to talk about a near-death experience that will absolutely blow your mind. So let me tell you a little bit about Kellen. He is an entrepreneur with 18 books, 10 are Amazon bestsellers. He's got 85 songs on Spotify, three are number one billboard hits. He has 30 years of C-suite experience, 15 years as a coach, speaker, and author. Now, his only purpose is to help people discover their divine gifts. He has over 790 episodes of his podcast, Your Ultimate Life, and an LA talk radio show by the same name. He helps entrepreneurs melt barriers, move mountains, and mobilize their superpowers to achieve their wildest dreams. So everyone, let's welcome Kellen Flukinger to the show. Welcome, Kellen. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I appreciate all that buildup, and we'll try to, um, I'm here only for one reason, and that's to serve, serve and encourage your audience. It's not really about me and all the noise in the past, because besides all that wonderful stuff, there's a whole battlefield of other stuff, too, so... Yes, you've definitely uh, danced with the dark side, as I have too, and you've come out the other side to the light, and I can't wait to learn more about your story. So how did you go? Tell us a little bit about your story. I know you struggle with depression, addiction. I'm curious how you went from being a C-suite executive to a speaker, author, and coach. I spent 30 years in the energy industry in the United States and Canada <clears throat> from 1977 to 2007. Uh, part of it was with like electric utilities and then it was with government and then deregulation and, you know, a bunch of things like that in different uh, jurisdictions. And during that 30 years, um, I, I lived sort of the corporate chase the gold ring kind of thing. See how much money you can make and position and power and all the rest. And it was done from a place of fear. I uh, was raised with a very strict upbringing with discipline that today would be felony child abuse. And so I left home at 17, believing that I was fundamentally flawed and my whole life needed to be spent proving to my mom that I was okay. And I didn't really know how to do that, uh, except make money. So I knew how to make money, but I was a, a um, Always struggled with depression, not good enough, self-sabotage. And so, though I created big career success, I then also sabotaged those things. So I rode a roller coaster of huge success and then terrifying failure repeatedly. And the the casualties of that were I was married and divorced three times. I was in and out of rehab uh, as an addict several times. I attempted suicide twice. You know, I created a lot of financial success and a lot of horrifying behind-the-scenes failure that literally was kind of on the world stage. I got written about, and one governor in the state of California, his chief staff yanked me in, and she 
ask about a bunch of stuff that she'd heard and they were afraid I was going to bring down the administration. I mean, that kind of noise. And it's nothing to be proud of, but that was the sort of battlefield that led me up to 2007 when I left the industry. And so you said, what made the change? August of 2007, I was on top. Uh, Financially, I was making so much money that my $3,000 a week cocaine habit didn't matter. Um, But I was single again for the third time, and I was living with four of my 10 children. Uh, They were all teenagers. Three were grown up and married, and three were with, it's embarrassing to say, but one of the exes. And in August, that August, I came home on a Friday night getting ready to go party for the weekend. And before I went out, I had this sudden urge to turn on the TV. And that doesn't sound like anything, except I picked up the remote and realized I didn't know how. I I mean, I bought the biggest stuff, coolest stuff you could buy for the kids and everything, but I didn't watch TV. So I asked my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, punched some buttons and, you know, threw the remote at me, dip weed, and left the room. And it landed on a program, which isn't probably on anymore, but it's a reality TV show called Intervention. And that was a show about families who staged interventions for busted loved ones, right? And the protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. (laughs) So I watched myself for about 10 minutes and I said, yeah, I'm not watching this crap. So I turned it off and did some other stuff and was ready to go leave. And uh, I just was compelled to turn it back on. Now, this time I knew how. So I picked up the remote and I turned the TV back on. That program started over at the beginning. And no, I don't have a recorder. And no, it wasn't on the schedule. And no, it can't do that. But it did. So it freaked me out. And I sat down and watched it. And it went badly. The guy yelled at his family and swore he didn't have a problem and stomped out and everything else. But it freaked me out. And so instead of going out to party, I went to bed. When I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I went somewhere. It felt out of body. And I was in a dark room. Uh, like a theater, and I could hear voices and see stuff. And the scenes that were on the stage were scenes from my life. And all of the focus of all the scenes was suffering, the suffering that had been inflicted on me, physical and verbal and sexual abuse growing up, up through the suffering I had inflicted on everybody else as a lousy parent, a lousy husband, an addict, and a pathological liar, and all the rest of it. And after, and the intensity of the experience was such that the the suffering that I felt, experienced watching all this, was beyond my ability to describe. After it went on for a really, really long time, a voice said that I heard very clearly, it is enough. I woke up and I realized I'd been invited to change. And I was disoriented because the sun was shining in the window and the windows faced west. So I got up and realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been somewhere for nearly 18 hours. Wow. And I said, okay. I have no idea how to do this, who to talk to, where to start, what to do, because all those years I'd kept, I'd never gotten any help, isolated, and I'd literally attempted suicide the second time two weeks earlier. And so I said, all right, I've been invited to change. I don't know what I'm going to do, but we're done. So I threw away $1,000 worth of stuff that I had and quit cold turkey that day. Now, that got me sober. The the shock was enough that I I got sober in one day, but I didn't do anything about how I got there. Isolation, depression, self-loathing, no help, no counseling, nothing. So I didn't know what to do, but I went back to, but I knew I had to change everything. So I went back to work on Monday knowing that I was going to quit eventually, but didn't know exactly what to do. And in the position I had, I used to get a lot of free stuff. Uh, because people, I made decisions that affected other companies, and so people gave me, you know, free tickets to this and free expensive bottles of booze, like I needed that, but that kind of stuff. And one of the things I got was a pair of tickets to see a Yo-Yo Ma concert. Now, if you know classical music, you know who that is, and if you don't, you don't. But in the classical world, that's like ah, right. And so I'm, I there were thousand dollar tickets, and I'm like, I don't want to waste this other ticket. I didn't have anybody to take. So I asked in the groups that I managed, I said, uh, who likes classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. And I said, uh, okay, have I ever given you anything before? And she said, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket. We met at the venue. The concert was amazing. And this is now two weeks after that other experience. So I'm now two weeks stone cold sober, right? Halfway through the show. Without the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nothing. I just, that 
event was so, yeah. So anyway, I, yeah. So anyway, halfway through the show, this feeling came over me that I recognized from two weeks before. And this voice said to me very clearly, you need to marry this woman. And I said, you're insane. I said, I've screwed that up three times officially with some other embarrassing messes in between. That's not happening. Later that night, we were backstage because $1,000 tickets, they were backstage passes and tickets to the reception and all that stuff. The voice came back and said, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight. <laughs> and I thought, and I, and I said to myself, to the voice, can't happen. Number one, I don't even actually know her very well. I don't know if she's in a relationship. And number two, she could have me arrested. I mean, she works in one of my groups and stuff. You know, not happening, but you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have expected. Are you insane? What are you talking about? So she left. And, um, but two good things. She didn't have a relationship, which I didn't know. And she didn't call the cops or HR or whatever. Over the next two weeks, she had her own set of experiences, and about two and a half weeks after that concert, I walked away from millions of dollars of contracts. She walked away from her entire career. We walked off into the sunset together, not even knowing each other, but on the strength of what we had felt, and last December, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And so the reason that matters, I mean, the story is amazing, but the reason it matters is she was the person, the angel with the soul contract to help me learn how to be a person, learn how to tell the truth, learn how to be a friend, learn how to have a friend, all things that I had never done. And I'm 52 years old at that point. And so <clears throat> that was the thing that changed. I left the industry. I left the whole thing. And we just said, okay, now what? And I wow. began getting help and seeing counselors and doing all the things. But that was the beginning of the now 16-year journey that I'd been on that allowed me to write the books. And believe me, with the battlefield behind me, I got plenty of books. So that's that was the turning point. What is, uh, what is your screensaver about? Is it the battle of good and evil or... The, the, that's a phoenix and so the oh, phoenix okay. is part of my life it's part of my story one of the things i say to people is if there was ever a person who should have been left at the bottom of the canyon so to speak i was the poster child and even in that circumstance um the divine chose to offer an invitation mm -hmm. and it those kind of invitations we get them we all do. And sometimes they're nudges and sometimes they're two-by-fours, depending on how loud they need to be. And they are invitations. They don't do the work for you and they don't fix anything, but they are the wake-up call, the invitation to change. And so I said, okay, not having literally any idea what to do next. And that's where it started. And so the phoenix rising from the ashes is the thing. Beautiful, beautiful symbol. So tell us about your near-death experience. I know you wrote a book about it. Tell us about the book and what was it like to die and come back? So as we started, like we weren't sure what to do. And my wife had been an online retailer for a long time on the side. So I helped her do that for a while. And, you know, we were trying to fumbling around and finally I realized that my what I felt called to do was to be of serve to be of service to help people given the things that I'd gone through and was still in the process of coming back from and through so I started you know I went to get some coaching certifications and did that in like two, 2011 or something 10 you know two or three years into this process and began to do that so I began writing more uh, you know, getting coaching clients and starting to build that literally from scratch. We did that for 11 years till 2018. We're still doing it, so that's not over. But 2018, we're now 11 years in. We have several books written. We have a thriving practice. We have things going on. And then in the summer of 2018, uh, Joy and I, my, oh, what I didn't tell you is the name of the woman her name's Joy. Like, you can't make this stuff up, right? Yeah. So Joy and I decided to go on a cruise, and we'd never been on one before, but we got this thing, and we, anyway. So we went on a cruise, Baltic Sea, you know, Tallinn, Estonia, Helsinki, all the cities around there, including St. Petersburg, which probably won't ever happen again, but okay. So 
And, and at the end of that cruise, I got sick and ended up in Oslo and I was sick and getting sicker. And that was Monday. We flew home from Amsterdam on Tuesday. I was sick and I had a fever, bad fever on the plane. And today, of course, they would throw you out the window. But in those days, they were nice and just brought you towels with ice. And so I got home on Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, I was getting sicker. And finally, Friday, I decided this is not good. I'm going to go to the clinic. And here in Canada, they have walk-in clinics. So I went to the walk-in clinic that we'd been to 100 times before over the years, and they wouldn't let me in. And uh, the lady there took one look at me and said, you can't come in here. We can't do anything for you. Go to the ER. So I drove to the university. I didn't drive. Joy did. To the University of Alberta Medical Center here in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, you go in the ER, and there's a lot of people. There, You might wait an hour or two or three, et cetera, et cetera. In 10 minutes, I was in a private room. Number one, I didn't know they had private rooms in the ER. The only thing I'd ever seen was those curtains, you know, those little private... I'm in a room with a door, and the doctor's all over me, and I'm like, oh, this cannot be good. So they asked me all these questions, started doing tests, sent me for x-rays, and they came back and said, yeah, there's no question we're going to admit you to the hospital. <laughs> we just don't know what's wrong with you yet. So I sent Joy home because we had cats and dogs, and I said, you know, come back tomorrow, Saturday. They're going to stick me in here, and that took all afternoon, and it was getting to the evening. And then when I'm in the, they, they take me upstairs and then the doctor keeps coming in. And the first time he came in, he said that, well, at a minimum, at a minimum, we know you have some kind of horrifying pneumonia in both lungs, but there's something else going on. And then they came back in a little while and said, we're going to put you uh, in the intensive care. I said, okay. And then they came back in about 20 minutes or 30 minutes and said, uh, uh, yeah, we're going to put you in biological isolation. Uh, okay. And then they came back in about 30 minutes or something and said, uh, <clears throat> do we have permission to intubate you and do anything we need to do to preserve your life? What? Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. So I went into, I went into meditation, which is a practice that I've had all my life after he left. And I could feel something really interesting that I never felt before. I could feel my body and spirit separating. It was like a zipper. So I could feel the separation. And I came out of meditation and I sent Joy a text. And by this time, I'm literally crashing. I could barely operate the phone. And I wrote three lines. First line said, I see you. They hadn't moved me yet. Second line said isolation slash intubation. And the third line said I may be dying. And she didn't see that because she was asleep. And about 2.30 or 3 in the morning, she got a call from the hospital. And the nurse said, uh, are you coming? And she said, what? And then she saw my text. So somewhere in that process, I crashed. And crash cart, code green, blue, whatever, right? Flatlined and died. And when that happened... Uh, I, I'll tell you what happened internally. I didn't come out of a coma for 17 days. So for the next 17 days, I was unconscious, How even though. You dead. How long did you flatline? Did you find we, out? We don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they didn't ever tell us the number of minutes, whatever. They didn't tell us that. But anyway, so I woke up laying, I was horizontal like I was there and I sat up and the room wasn't like full of, you know, wires and things like that. It was just sort of this soft gray. But over my left shoulder, I could see a doorway. <clears throat> and I wanted to be at the door. And so suddenly I'm standing at the door and I'm leaning on the door jamb on my right shoulder. And across the doorway on the other side, there was someone leaning on that door jamb. Like, you know, close enough to touch. That side of the door was white. And my side was gray. And the light wasn't streaming through. It was just white on that side and gray on my side. And, uh... <clears throat> The person there, he looked at me and said, do you want to come home? And in a millionth of a second, you know, you know where you are, what the door is, who's talking to you, what the question means and everything. And as coaches, we talk about holding space, right, for people to talk and all that other stuff. I can tell you there's never been any space in any universe held like that space. Mm. The, I knew there was no Anything, I knew the question was going to get an answer, but there was like, you know, so we talked about all the stuff that had happened since 11 years before and, you know, everything that had happened, what we built and what was going on and what I still wanted to do and everything else. And finally, after a while, I said, well, I'm not done. 
And he said, okay. And so I'm, I'm quite sure that's when they were able to restart the heart. And that was the first of three conversations. So the next day, and people always ask, how did you know it was the next day? I don't know. It was the next day, okay? So we're back at the door, and I'm leaning. The same thing, right? And the question of the previous day didn't come up. I mean, that was decided. So then it was like, okay, so what are you going to do? And so we talked about the coaching and the work that I'd been doing and the books that I'd written and what else there was to do and all this stuff. And then I had an experience that the only thing I can compare it to is that movie, Contact, that has Jodie Foster's 80s movie. It's like old. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. She drops through this alien thing and then goes on a ride through the universe. Well, it felt like that. It felt like I was being fed with a fire hose. And if I hadn't been in some kind of a protective bubble, I would have been incinerated. But I was, I was just bore witness to incredible stuff. And it felt like a long time, a long time. I have no idea how long it was in terms of our time measurement. But it felt like fire hosing for a long time. And when we got back, I was very out of breath and overwhelmed, but four things had become absolutely clear. Thing number one is that each of us, every person without exception, is an intentional, lovingly crafted divine being, period. The second thing is that each of us, without exception, were carefully and lovingly given gifts to come. The third thing is that we all have a mission and purpose that we not only agreed to, but we were stoked about before we came. And the fourth thing is all the help that we need is available from both sides of that door. And so taking all that in, I said, well, since that's true, why do we settle for crumbs? And I don't know if in the economy of heaven, brevity is a virtue, but the answer was four words. Because you don't believe. Okay. And I thought, oh, facepalm. I didn't facepalm. I thought about it. But anyway, and so I said, well, okay, what can I do? Oh, glad you asked. And then what came then was a framework for changing beliefs that I wrote in the second book called The Book of Context. The first book you referred to calls Meeting God at the Door, Conversations, Choices, and Commitments of a Near-Death Experience. And I didn't write the contents of the second conversation because that was a whole book and is a framework. Anyway, it's called The Book of Context. So that was finished, and that was by far the longest conversation. The third day, I'm back at the door, and this time I felt like I was bouncing on one of those bouncy balls that people sit at on desks, right? Ding, ding, I'm excited, and I'm reciting all this stuff in my head and, you know, going over everything. And we're back at the door, and this third conversation was just one question. He looked at me, and he said, are you sure? And I just gasped. I thought, what? What do you mean, am I sure? Am I stupid? Am I missing something? Like what? I, I felt like hyperventilating, right? Oh, no. So we talked about it from every possible way I could think of. If I miss something, if I, can I do this? Am I in over my head? Did, did I misunderstand something? Am I stupid? Whatever. And finally, I said, uh, I'm sure. Okay. And nothing was said, but the conversation ended with the finality that I knew we were done. And then, so some 14 days later, I was, I came out of a coma and I'd lost 35 pounds and couldn't walk and everything else. What I ended up having was a lethal strain of necrotizing MRSA in both lungs and in my bloodstream. It was so aggressive that the tube in the, my neck that was part of the intubation, they couldn't get the bacteria count to go down. I learned all this later. Yes. And they realized that the bacteria had attacked the tube. It was in the tube. So they had to pull it out of this side and put it in the other side. I mean, that is it. And the doctor told me later, the head of the infectious disease unit at the university said, what I had, COVID, we talk about a 2 to 3% mortality rate. You know, he said, what you have, what you had has a 10-day kill rate of 100%. Oh, my God. What a miracle that you lived through that. So, well, it's by choice. So, by choice. That that was the story, and since then, yes, I wrote some books, and everything that I do now is to help people trust their intuition, find their gifts, dream that impossible dream, and make it real. Add good to the world, and do the thing you think you should be doing. 
How do people find their divine purpose? A lot of people who come to me as a coach say, I want to know my divine purpose and they need help in finding it. So what, what questions or techniques do you help people with to find their divine purpose? I love that you asked that. So I have a, th- a thing, I, I, it's like a rope, and it's got three braids in it, and that's why I use this kind of thing. So think of a great big marine you know, marine yard, right, with one of those big thick nylon ropes used to pull vessels and stuff. Got a, you know, a green thread and a blue one and an orange thread or something, and it's really brightly colored. Every single person breathing air has three things. Number one, you have a set of existing skills. Those are the things that you learned that you've probably been selling in the marketplace to make a living. Maybe you're a pizza delivery person. Maybe you're an architect. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you're whatever. It's a set of skills that you learned that you, that you sell in the marketplace to create value and make a living. Lots of people just go do that, and they don't think about anything else, but 75-plus percent of people are not happy in their jobs. And the reason is because they haven't considered the other two pieces of the rope. They just went and did what's there, and they get stuck. I don't like corporate, don't like politics, not fulfilled, not making a difference, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the second rope, piece of the rope, is you have a set of natural gifts. Those are the gifts that you came, that came with you. Some people are obvious, like music or art or whatever. And some people, most people, quite frankly, are a lot more subtle. Maybe you listen well. Maybe you're really empathetic. Maybe you have a high degree of sensitivity. Maybe you have a very spiritual connection. Maybe you're one of those people who just knows what to say. Like, those things are all really important gifts. We tend to downplay them and ignore them, but they're really, they're real and they're important. So that's the second piece of the rope. And the third piece of the rope is your life experience. Usually, the things that wrecked you, the bankruptcies, the divorces, the illness, the betrayal of a business partner, those things that can either ruin you or refine you. And if you intentionally go through those three things, you can find, and I hate to use the word find, because finding your purpose is a misidentification. It isn't going to come in an Amazon box. You're not going to find it digging in the yard. You don't go on a safari and find it in a cave. You choose it. And if you seek, you will be guided as you choose. But if you look to your hardships and you look to your natural gifts and you look to your skills, you can choose a life purpose and adjust it as you go along. But creating that purpose is the way you can have the most fun, have the biggest impact, and make the most money. And the reason you make the most money is because money follows value. And if you take all the things that make you unique and powerful and offer them to the world, of course you can get paid. So the idea that you can't, well, I can't really make as much money doing that as I can, whatever, is nonsense. Yeah, that's what I do. It is nonsense. And I love what you said about one of the breaks is your challenge. I really think your message is in your mess. Mm -hmm. If you have overcome a very challenging situation, whatever that is, uh, death, loss, tragedy, divorce, bankruptcy, illness, you can help someone get through that same challenge. And that is that is a great clue. And then what you said about your superpower, that is another great way to find your purpose. And so many people have talents, like you said, that they don't even think are talents, like being empathetic, being a good listener, you know, knowing exactly what to say and when to say it, which is emotional intelligence. There's so many, so many superpowers that we all have. So why is it, being that we all have so many talents and abilities, I know you've worked with a lot of high performers and executives, why is it that so many high performers struggle with addiction, anxiety, and depression? So somehow in connection with high performance, there is this expectation that everything's always right. We have a, we have a false narrative about failure. We yes. treat failure as an indictment instead of a data point. All Ooh, failure that's is... Tweetable. That's tweetable. Did you guys hear that? We treat failure like an indictment and not a data point. That That is a great quote. Is that your own quote? That's beautiful. 
Yeah. That's in it. fact, that's I just it. now made it up right now. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's, that could be the title of your next book. Write that down. <laughs> I have a book that's outlined right already. This is the story arc for a book named Failure, the Art and Science of Choosing of Challenging Boundaries. There you go. I love that line. Okay. That's, that's going to be a, probably in the end of 24 or 25. It won't be now because I just have other things going on, but, um, so what were you saying about uh, the high performers? Why? Oh, so we have this idea, you can't fail. Mm -hmm. We have enforced isolation, where particularly the men are taught to not uh, be connect connected to or do emotions. And if it is, it's some squishy weirdness. But the truth of our spiritual being is connected to the divine. And that is about those the, the, your ability to not only recognize, but use effectively learn from use uh, your emotions your connections because we're built both physically and spiritually spiritually to love and serve each other that's how we're built and so when you isolate and cut that off you're throwing away a lot of your or, or ignoring putting in the closet a lot of your greatest gifts and opportunities so people have a false idea about what it means to be powerful. They think an excellence and a skill is the only thing that means success. And that is one component. But it also is including the natural gifts you have and your life experience. Like I have one client who, I, who, who is a, a mom, and she has gone through horrific experience with a couple of kids through addiction and getting through that. And, you know, it was a nice home, two-parent home. You wouldn't have expected, completely unpredicted, et cetera, et cetera. And her ability to get through that through, like, the worst possible description, you know, jail and hospital and on and on and on, puts her in a powerful and unique position, not only to help people that are doing that or going through similar things, but the idea of resilience, the idea, the fabric of our lives are not intended to be easy. I read a statistic somewhere that said out of a people sample, at any given time, and I think this was North America, over 50% of the people in that random sample are going through something terrible at that moment. And Over I don't mean some. Yes. Wow. That's a lot. It is. 50% are going through something terrible at that moment. Well, either God is an idiot and built it so we all suffer, or there's a reason. It's supposed to be that way. Because I got given those gifts, whatever they were in that mission, before I came here. That's all I came with. Nothing else. When I go home, the only thing I'm going to take is what I made out of me and what I made out of those. That's it. All the rest. What is the mission that you came here with? What's that? What is the mission that you came here with? Uh, I have a, a mission statement, and I have a I have a whole document called a personal truth and commitment statement, uh, and I'll answer you more directly in a minute. But the document, personal truth and commitment, is a personal contract between myself and the divine. With it doesn't need anyone's approval. It doesn't need anyone's in agreement. It is who I have declared myself to be, just because I said so. This is who I am. And every decision, every conversation that I have is, is, is gone, goes through that filter. Is that what that does? Is that who that is? Now, if you want to hear the mission statement, let me open this real quick, and I'll tell you what it is. A lot of the, my PTAC, Personal Truth and Commitment, I have memorized, and I think I do this one also, but I don't. You don't have time to hear the whole paper, but. No, like no, this is just the mission statement. Yeah, the mission statement is, uh, my mission is to learn from my own experience and add good to the world, to live each day as a beacon of light, a vessel of love and a conduit of power with nothing to prove and everything to give, to love you freely and elevate the substance, success, and sweetness of life's amazing journey, to create inspired works that come through me to help you discover and develop your divine gifts and serve those you choose with your purpose, to be the catalyst for meaning, legacy, and joy, 
to show that no matter what has come before, it's never too late to make a big impact and to matter with your divine gifts and to coach as my authentic expression of our common divinity. Beautiful. I love that mission statement. That is so beautiful. Someone on Instagram wrote vessel of love. Yes, you are a vessel of love. Thank you for that. Beautiful. What a beautiful, beautiful mission statement. So when a high performer comes to you, an overachiever, are they usually on a spiritual path or do you have to put them on a spiritual path to help them overcome their addiction, anxiety, and depression? You want the truth? The truth, yeah. That's, the that's truth the is everybody has felt those yearnings and pushes. The rest of the truth is many don't want to talk about it. They want to hide it pretend it away and pretend that it doesn't matter for the bottom line or for success in this world. And that is completely wrong. Uh, and so one of the first pieces of work, I, I never shy away from using spiritual words or yeah. connection to those. I just talk about it. And if somebody gets weird on that, uh, I can ask them a series of questions about things in their life to where they say, well, yeah, this has happened and that's happened. I said, good, we'll just call that spiritual stuff, okay? We'll just use that language. What would you like to call it? And then I'll use their vocabulary. I don't even care. But point is to help people understand that there isn't a separation. And then the second thing is really important is I don't care why they come. I need to make more money. I need to work less. I need to fix my relationship. After a few sessions, the only thing that we're working on is who you are choosing to be in the world every minute. How do you choose to show up? Because you can create, you can have anything you want. The question is, who do you need to be so that that is the outcome? Exactly, Kellen, because it's be, do, have, not have, do, be. People think uh, I'll make a lot of money and then I'll have happiness and then I'll be happy. But it's I'll be loving and happy first. Then I'll do the things that are in my purpose and then I will have the money and the love and the abundance. So I love that you teach people making moment by moment decisions on how you're going to be. You know, we have to-do lists and we have planners and everything's about the doing. I actually have a morning practice where I write a to-be list. Like, how do I want to be today? How do I want to show up as my divine self today? And I love that you talk about being. That is that is absolutely beautiful. So the question of the day and what I'm going to title this podcast what are the five steps to live an ultimate life? Well, the first step is you have to decide that's where you're going. Because if you really want to create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy, that journey's not for the dabbler. Okay, if you're going to go stick your toe in and see if it feels good and then go in a little bit and then come back and, oh, I'm backsliding and stuff, you're going to take forever, you're going to get discouraged, and you're going to quit. And most people do that, Kellen. I mean, in my experience, most people are not finishers. They're wishy-washy. And when you make a decision to live your biggest, best, most ultimate life, it's not always easy. It's a lot easier to play a smaller game. You don't get hurt. You don't feel rejection or abandonment or judgment. So I can understand why people would be like, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. And I would take that and agree with it and say, not only is it going, it's supposed to be hard. Yes. Like to get to that place of ultimate purpose, prosperity, and joy, if it were a downhill slide, everybody'd be there. Nobody ever fell up the mountain. Yes. Okay. So if you want to go up the mountain, you're going to climb. You're going to bruise your knees and bleed. People are going to laugh. They're going to do whatever they do. So what? Yeah. So step one is you have to decide. Okay, decide. You have to decide you're going there. Uh, the second piece is you have to choose. <coughs> excuse me, you have to choose to love yourself. Mm. And Okay, because most people don't. And they have a skeleton, and I this is me, a closet full of skeletons. And mine were bigger and grotier than most in terms of all the failed failed stuff and bad stuff that I did, you know, 
et cetera, et cetera. I had a, a whole pile of that, and so what did I do? I hated myself, and I constantly sabotaged things anytime I created success. So step two is you have to make a choice to love yourself. That doesn't mean you pretend away mistakes that you've made. That doesn't mean that you ignore consequences for people or things you've hurt. It means you say, like Shakespeare did in As You Like It, he said, "'Twas I, tis not I." One character's doing that. Yeah, that used to be me. It was a bad guy that tried to kill some people, and then he changed. "'Twas I, tis not I." If you, if you make a choice to stay stuck with the identification of past behaviors and attitudes, then you're going to stay stuck with those behaviors and attitudes. If you make a choice that today you're going to face a new direction and you create your to-be documents just because you can, just because you said so, just because you've decided, and you start moving in that direction, then each day you do that, you know, you move further away from the old person, the old habits, the old practices. And if in the process of creating the new, you need to clean up some old messes, then you clean them up. Uh, You don't pretend them away. You don't minimize. You don't run away from. But most of that serious stuff, you can't fix. And so if you choose to continue forever to beat yourself up, I'll never, or wait for someone else to, quote, forgive you, you are handing your life over to somebody else. You make a choice to be who you're going to be. You make whatever amends are possible, and you move forward. Because the best gift you can give to the world is to be your best, most authentic, most powerful, most enlightened self. That's that's what you are. I feel like forgiveness is absolutely essential to become your ultimate self and live your ultimate life. And I really love the affirmation. I forgive everyone for absolutely everything, especially me. Because so many people are holding on to self-hatred and self-recrimination and beating themselves up about the past. One of my to-be statements that I have in my document says, I am forgiveness, holding no judgment, anger, or loathing toward anyone for anything, including myself. Very similar. Love it. So, I, yeah, Well, that's, you made me think of that. All right. So the second, the third thing you need to do after making a choice to love yourself, and all these things are iterative, and you have to reaffirm them every day, which is why I love your morning practice, is you have to dream big. Like, you have to decide you're going somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to be a new person, and I'm going to sit here in the backyard in a lawn chair and just be there myself. Okay, that won't last very long, and it won't be very satisfying. We are built to love and serve. So creating the largest possible dream and then multiplying it by 10. Right now, my commitment this year is the road to 50 million. I have committed to help 50 million people to discover and serve with their gifts, to drill, to build that impossible dream and then create it. I mean, that's what Sing on the Screen, Ultimate Life Challenge is about. That's the thing I do once a month for a week. This is the week this month. So today's the fourth day. You, so that's it. You have to dream. And then big it and bigger it and bigger it. You know, you don't serve anyone by playing small. Now, in the process of dreaming, you can't create a bunch of judgment and a bunch of drama and a bunch of self-loathing and failure stories and all that stuff. So each of these pieces has work and parts. You know, it's not, oh, okay, I'm dreaming, now I'm cool. That doesn't work that way either. But you have to be willing to dream big. And then the fourth thing is you have to get in action. Right? You have to get in action. And people said, oh, I'm going to set these big, hairy goals. You know what's more important than that? To create a success cadence. The success cadence, now this piece right here is worth a billion dollars. Okay, what, what is it? What is the success cadence? What is the billion I'm going to tell you right now. Um, okay, everyone. If you're driving, walking, working out, clue into this. It's really simple. I said it. I did it. I said it. I did it. I said it. I did it. What does that mean? 
I'll tell you what it means. We are so in the habit of lying to ourselves about everything. We promise we're going to do this. We're going to change. We're going to change our habits. We're going to get up. We're going to lose weight. We're going to get in shape. We're going to make more money. We're going to fix a relationship. We're going to, and we don't, and we don't. And what we do when we do that is we set these goals and then don't achieve them is we teach ourselves we can't be trusted. The answer to that is shrink the damn goal. Make the goal small enough, even so that I said it, I did it, is the truth of your being. Because then what happens is you teach yourself you can be trusted. It's easy to grow the goals incrementally. And when you do it on the back of, I said it, I did it, 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 the goals will grow and your confidence in their completion will grow. And it will grow and it will grow. And then you have absolute confidence and you literally can speak your world into being. But it starts with, I said it, I did it. Not by setting big goals and failing. I'll try again tomorrow. That is a recipe for failure. So shrink the goals, create the cadence of, I said it, I did it. And make that be the truth of your being. Yeah, because you're building a trustworthy track record with yourself. Right. And something that I did uh, since April is I decided to give up coffee. I know people think that's crazy. Everyone in this uh, culture is obsessed with coffee, but I wanted to just prove to myself that I could do it. I didn't want to be addicted to it. I wanted to sleep better. And I gave up coffee for four months until, until August. So that was just a little thing. I had also really big business goals. I'm like, no matter what, I'm not going to drink coffee. No matter what happens with my big, scary business goals, I'm just not going to drink coffee no matter what. And I'm proving to myself that I can keep my commitments to myself. So that's step four is get in action, create yourself a success cadence, and don't have drama about the big hairy goals. They're overrated. You'll get there. Do little ones and keep your word. The fifth fifth one is get the support you need. Mm. Nobody can do this alone. You need a coaching container. You know, this isn't an advertisement. The idea is nobody ever got to the top of the game. Nobody ever got to any podium. Nobody ever got to any stage. Nobody ever got to the Olympics. Nobody ever got to the World Cup. Nobody ever got to the Super Bowl. Nobody ever got to the pinnacle of anything without help, without coaching, in some form. That's why I call it a coaching container. So go get it because you want it. You're looking for that support and help. You're looking for someone you can have in your corner. And if your coaching coordinator doesn't meet that structure right now, go find another one. But get a coaching structure where someone loves you, believes in you, has your best interest at heart, and is going to help you get there. So those are one, two, three, four, five. I love those. And I totally agree about coaching. I have hired so many coaches for every aspect of my life, you know. Everything from health to beauty to dating to wardrobe to, I mean, business, uh, spirituality. I just think find somebody who has what you want. And if you do what they did, you can get what they got. And I feel that that is so important to have coaches and mentors and people that support you on your journey. So this has been an amazing interview, Kellen. I love your passion. and. Where are you at in your goal this year of wanting to help 50 million people discover their divine purpose? So my goal starts October 14th. And the reason October 14th is my New Year's because that's Joy's birthday. And since she was so part of my whole universe, that's my year. So October 14th, October 14th. July 14th, a few days ago, we started quarter four. At halftime, which was April 14th, I did a podcast episode called Road to 50 Million Halftime. And I figured I better have some kind of a report. So I went and I've been on like 300 and something shows and all my episodes and LA Talk Radio and all the rest. And so I thought I better check the audiences. So I did the best I could. I never thought I'd get 50 million emails from people saying, oh, you helped me. So I added up audience sizes, you know, this audience, that audience, see where we were in terms of reach. 
And it turns out as of April 14th, the combined audience size we'd reached was 65 million. So we had already gone past our goal and we didn't change the name. It's still the road to 50 million, but internally we've said we're going to double down and see if we can get to hundred by October. So that's where we're at. That is incredible. Congratulations. You are definitely keeping your contract to God and to yourself and why you got another chance to come back. You're definitely fulfilling on your mission. So thank you so much for being the light that you are in the world. And how can people stay in touch with you? Well, I'll tell you that. Before I do that, I want to first honor you. Doing a podcast, doing a show is a labor of love. So I'm grateful for the work that you're doing to add good to the world. I honor you for what you're teaching and who you're being. And I want to thank you for your contribution in all that way. With a name like Kellen Flukiger, you can't hide. So if you Google me, there's uh, over 10,000 hits because of my executive stuff in the past and all the stuff I'm doing now and places I speak and whatever. Facebook, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, I don't do much. I don't do anything on TikTok, and I don't do anything much. My wife, Joy, is my business partner. She runs all of our contractors and all the back end. So you can connect with me on any social. My website is my name. You do have to spell it right, though. KellenFlukiger.com. And... Uh, you can find me there. You can get on my email list. I send out all kinds of free stuff. I do an almost daily video called Road to 50 Million. I've got 220 or 30 or 40 episodes of that that go out on all the socials. So if you want to have a conversation, tell me. I'm, I'm not hard to find. And all the books are on Amazon and Spotify on music. And because I have a weird name, I you know, I'm not hard to find. Well, Kellen Flukiger, did I say it right finally? You said it perfect. All right. Uh, Thank you for being on the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant show. Everybody, you have been listening to another amazing episode of our show. I'm your host, Rebecca Whitman, taking you from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. If you found value in the show, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe copy and paste a link, share this episode with a friend. If you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram at Rebecca E. Whitman. I'll be happy to reshare and give you a shout out. Thank you again, our wonderful audience on Instagram, Facebook, and of course, all podcast platforms. We appreciate you so much. And until we meet again, Keep your vibe high and magnetized. Thank you so much for listening to the Balanced, Beautiful, and Abundant Show. I'm your host, Rebecca Whitman, taking you from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. I am hosting a weekly women's circle on Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, where you get to experience my coaching for free. It is open and it is amazing for accountability, support, and community. All you have to do is go to the link in bio to reserve your spot, and I can't wait to meet you on a live Zoom call. I also am having an amazing summer promotion called the Five Day Drop. Lose five pounds in five days, guaranteed. It's a great way to detox your body. It's a metabolism reset, and it will help you feel balanced, beautiful, and abundant all summer long. So make sure you go to the link in my bio to learn about the five-day drop. I am so appreciative of you listening to my show. The best compliment you could ever pay me is to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend because I know you know other people who want to go from burned out and overwhelmed to balanced, beautiful, and abundant. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Bye.